What's up, Warriors, and welcome to Warrior Life Podcast number 383. This is Buck Green in for Jeff Anderson. Today, I want to talk to you about something that you've probably experienced, something you may have experienced more than once. Uh, There are a few moments that I can relate to in my life, and I'm willing to bet that there are some that you can relate to in yours. These are the moments that put you on the path that are what we talk about here at Warrior Life. Moments that made you a warrior, moments that made you a, a prepper, a survivor, a prepared citizen, an armed citizen. And those are the moments that change your life forever after you've experienced them, things you'll never forget. That's what I want to talk about today. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. All right, we're back. This is Buck Green in for Jeff Anderson. Uh, Before I go any farther, these podcasts often are easily distillable into notes. It's one of the reasons that we use, uh, you know, these list formats because it helps your brain organize items in ways that are easy to remember. Well, you don't have to worry about sitting down and taking notes. There's actually a tremendous resource that's available through Warrior Life. All you have to do is become a member of Warrior Life Academy. It doesn't cost anything. I wouldn't tell you, all you have to do is send me some money. Um, We have something called Warrior Life Academy, which is part of Warrior Life. Uh, There are different membership tiers, and yes, there is a paid membership level. So if you are a Ronin-level Warrior Life Academy member, you already have access to the cheat sheets for the podcast. If you're not already a member, all you have to do is click the link that appears in, if you're looking at this on the blog, it's at the bottom of the post. If you're looking at this in your favorite podcast app, it's at the bottom of the podcast description. Uh, There's a link there where you can just go and sign up for a free Spartan level Warrior Life Academy membership. Once you have that, all you got to do is is, uh, put in your email, you get an email back uh, with login information, you log in, and uh, then you have access to sections of the Warrior Life Academy website completely free, including what we call the Loot Locker, which is aptly named It's full of free reports and other downloadable resources. Doesn't cost you a thing. And one of those things is cheat sheets. And you can download a cheat sheet and, uh, you know, for whatever podcast you're listening to. Now, they're not all in there right now. Uh, We are slowly populating the Loot Locker section with old cheat sheets from the hundreds of podcasts we've done in the past. Uh, But the cheat sheet for this podcast will be in there, the one for last week and the week before and the one before that. They're all in there. They're all downloadable. They're all completely free. All you have to do, literally, is just sign up. doesn't cost you a thing. If you want to upgrade to a paid membership, oh, there is so much you can get with a paid membership, including access to all of our digital training courses, which, I mean, that's I don't even, I haven't done the math, but it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of training that you get for a single low membership fee. But I'm not trying to sell you that. That's not my goal here. Don't worry about that. I'm just saying if you want to download the cheat sheet and you're not already a Warrior Life Academy member, click the link and become a free Spartan member. If you are a member of the Warrior Life Academy already, do not click that link. Because, especially if you're a paid uh, Ronin level member, you don't want to then also be a free Spartan level member or you're going to get emails you don't need. So just, if you're already a member, don't worry about it. If you're not, click the link. Okay, we've done all that business. We can now get all of that out of the way and get to the five moments that make you a warrior. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to sound dramatic, but there are, looking back, there's five things I can think of that sort of put me on the path of being a prepared armed citizen and they're not all flattering. They don't all make me look good. And I want to share those with you today. 
because uh, I'm willing to bet that you can relate, that you've had moments like this in your own life. And uh, I don't know, I think it's really important to know how we got here so that we can judge how to, to grow and, and do more and learn more uh, as we provide for our families and become better protectors and prepared citizens. All right, the, the first of the five moments that I wrote down when I thought about this and jotted down a list, you realize you aren't safe. For me, that moment came uh, back in the early 90s. I'm giving away how old I am here, but I was in college in the early 90s, and uh, I remember I was headed to a, a residence hall. It was a big multi-story residence hall, a very old building. We called it The Brick. And The Brick was uh, this stone building that had a dining hall in the basement. It was where the hipsters would go and have dinner. Across campus, there was a new, modern, brightly lighted dining establishment. But, you know, those of us who fancied ourselves cooler than that went to go have dinner at the dimly lighted ancient building with the cracks in the plaster because somehow that was that was different and better. So I was on my way to that cafe, and I remember all I wanted to do was buy some ice cream. That was my highest... Uh, goal for that evening. And I probably had some work that I was putting off because my life was defined by having work that I was putting off during the, the years that I was in college. And I remember uh, I, I went into the building and there's a there's like a little paid cafe next to the dining hall. And that's where I bought my ice cream. And I'm holding my, I don't know, pint of Ben and Jerry's and I'm walking up out of the building and I see a group of people standing around staring and pointing and shouting. And I'm like, well, what's this now? The, the campus was built into a hill. The, the college was like a valley. On one hill was one college. On the opposite hill was a different college. Main Street ran down the center, and there was all of one traffic light. It was a very small town. And uh, there was maybe 2,000 students at my university. Or no, 4,000 students. Let me back up. Math. There was maybe 2,000 students at my university. Another 4,000 students at the state school across the street on the opposite hill. The town itself had maybe a thousand residents. It was a dinky, tiny little place. And uh, when you know, when when we went home for the summer, they rolled up the sidewalks. That place became a ghost town. But as I'm as I'm walking out, it was it was a spring day. I think the weather was quite pleasant. And I see a guy walking down the hill. There were more residence hills at the top of the hill, walking down this very lengthy expanse, dragging a bed frame. And I'm like, well, there's something you don't see every day. And I watched as this guy dragged that bed frame all the way down the hill. And then, as every one of us stood there, 20 people standing there, staring like idiots, he took the bed frame, threw it up against the building, used it like a ladder to climb the building like a pirate boarding an enemy sailing ship, smashed his way through the window of the room where he had mounted his makeshift ladder, and went inside. Well, at that point, I went into the, the ground floor, which was, the building was itself built into a hill of its own, so it was deceptive. This guy thought he was breaking into a room on the second floor. What he actually did was break into a room on the ground floor as you enter the building. So I walk in there, and there's a resident director, uh, you know, one of the one of the people, one of the, their students who are in charge of the building because they're a little bit older and, you know, they're not freshmen, they're they're seniors or so and, and it was his job to sort of mind the building and that guy showing a bravery and a presence of mind that I didn't share uh, shouted that dude out of the building just started shouting get out get out get out and shouted him out of the building 
he disappeared, and uh, eventually the police showed up and took off in pursuit of him. And I found out later the full story. I found out that this guy had some kind of psychotic break, and his girlfriend had locked him out of her room, which was in that building, on the second floor. He had tried to kick the door in and succeeded only in wedging her into her room because it bent the the deadbolt so that the lock could not be opened. They had to call a locksmith to take apart the lock and get her out of her room. She was okay. This lunatic went back to his own residence hall all the way up the hill, took his own bed frame out of his room, dragged it back all the way across campus to use it as a ladder because the idea of finding something else to use as a ladder simply didn't occur to him. And uh, eventually they caught him and he was never seen again on, on that campus. And uh, uh, that's good. I don't know whatever became of him and I don't care. But the incident stuck with me because I and 20 other people stood there and did nothing. It never occurred to me to walk up to him while he was coming down the, the, hall, the hill with his bed frame and go, hey man, what are you doing? When he threw the bed frame up against the building, it never occurred to me to kick it out from under him. It never occurred to me to lay hands on him and go, what are you doing, you weirdo? Nothing. We just stood there and watched. If he'd had a knife and had just started stabbing who was ever in that room, this could be a very different story. Fortunately, no one was hurt. But my lack of action really stuck with me. I thought about that for a long time after that incident. And I decided... After a couple of weeks of sort of fretting about this and mulling it over, that I would never again allow myself to give in to inaction, to just stand and stare and not do anything. And, and to this day, I'm the kind of person now that if I see something weird, I'm the first to speak up and go, hey, what are you doing? It's gotten me into trouble a couple times. I've learned to be polite because sometimes you misjudge things and you end up looking like an idiot. Uh, but, you know, from little things to big things, like... Here's an example of a little thing. Uh, years ago, I went to the movies on a matinee day, um, and it was you know the, the start of the day. The movies haven't opened yet, and the start time for the movies getting closer and closer. But the nobody has come to to open the ticket gate. No one's there to let us in. So finally, with everyone standing around tapping their feet and you know sighing audibly, I just ducked under the gate, went in to find and play. I'm like, hey man, there's nobody at the front uh, desk. And he looked at me and he said, there's not? Come to find out somebody didn't show up for work. So being willing to do something has a positive outcome for little things, tiny things. But it also makes a difference for the big stuff. Um, I told the story in one of my previous podcasts about how, you know, I thought I saw a couple of people following me and some folks I was with. So I turned and got my knife ready. And uh, they looked at me and took a 90 degree turn and went sideways. Now, that could all be in my head. Could have been coincidence. They might not have noticed that I had a blade, but I think they did. <laughs> I think that's a, an example of a big thing where being willing to take action made the difference. So uh, moment number one, the moment you realize that you're not safe, that stuff like that can happen and that you've got to take action, that's a moment that puts you on the path to what we talk about here at Warrior Life. All right, moment number two. Uh, this is kind of related because it happened in the same environment. You realize that other people are armed. Also, when I was in college, because I'd led a pretty sheltered life up to that point. You know, you go off to school. You don't live at home. For the first time, you're around strangers, around people that, that you're, you're basically an adult. But you're not quite an adult because college students are reckless and young and stupid. Also, they have sex like it's going out of style. 
So, you know, we all have fond memories from college. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I digress. Uh, I remember having a conversation once, uh, and we were talking about knives. And I, I even then, I, I had an interest in knives, but it hadn't fully blossomed. You know, I wasn't, I didn't have a knife collection. It's hard to believe there was a time in my life when I didn't have one, but I didn't. I owned maybe a pocket knife or something that I'd bought at a hardware store that was home in a in my desk. You know, I didn't even have it at school. And I was having a conversation, and this girl that I sort of knew, who was talking to a couple other people that I did know, just pulls out her butterfly knife, starts playing with it. And uh, I was recounting that story at the beginning of a class before the professor has shown up in the class. And I'm telling somebody else, yeah, I, th- I thought it was weird. You know, all of a sudden this, this chick has a butterfly knife that she's just playing with. And the guy next to me overhearing my conversation takes out his butterfly knife. And he's like, oh, like this? And I don't know, for young me, it was kind of an eye-opening moment. I realized other people are armed. Now, this is not the same as, you know, everyone's packing a gun or something like that. I suppose there might have been a few people quietly, discreetly carrying firearms legally uh, because you weren't supposed to have them on a, on a college campus. But more to the point, I remember talking to a police officer years ago who told me everybody's got a knife. Knives are easy to get. Knives are powerful. Knives are easily concealed. Everyone's got one. And it doesn't take, all you have to have is something sharp and you've got a knife. It could be a screwdriver, it could be a pen, it could be a, an ice pick or an awl. You know, everyone has a knife. Even in prison, people get knives, make knives, produce knives. So that moment that I realized that other people were armed and that I needed to take responsibility for being armed myself if I wanted to have equal footing, you know, in any kind of an altercation. Now, I'm not saying I was you know, looking around in flop-sweating paranoia, convinced that everyone was looking to get me. It was just kind of an eye-opener that the world is full of people, and many of them have knives. And, you know, it just... There's that moment when you realize that. You go from being a kid who doesn't really think about these things to an adult who is who realizes other people are armed. And that's the world we live in. You have to understand that you aren't the only one. There are everybody else out there, conceivably has a weapon. All right, moment number three. Uh, this was a little bit later in my life. I was a young uh, married fellow, and I remember watching in horror on television as Hurricane Katrina happened. And moment number five was, you realize there are dangers out there, quote-unquote. I remember seeing the footage of Hurricane Katrina and, and hearing the horrible news reports about the atrocities that either were happening or weren't happening at the at the Superdome. There were a lot of conflicting reports. Oh, that never happened. And I intend, I, I'm inclined to think that they tried to cover up the bad stuff that did happen because it made the government look bad, just how little control they had over that situation. Jeff has talked many times about how quickly people become unraveled in any kind of an emergency situation when they are deprived of, you know, food and and the the infrastructure that they take for granted and suddenly it seems like all bets are off and they can do whatever they want. People become unraveled quickly. That's what happened during Hurricane Katrina, which also underscored just how easily the folks who are supposed to be in charge of emergencies can drop the ball and there can be many people who suddenly are in desperate need. And I remember thinking, what would I do if I was not prepared? What would I say to my family if a disaster like this happened and I was just, uh, sorry, can't help you, I wasn't ready? And that was the moment that I started stockpiling. That was the moment I started truly prepping. 
Um, I spent a lot of money I shouldn't have spent on survival gear and supplies and water and, you know, all kinds of nonsense. Uh, well, it's not nonsense, but you know what I mean. We've all had that moment where we, you know, maybe we have a, a credit card that is a little more free than, than we, we use a little more freely than we should. And, and we just, we think the, the knee-jerk reaction to buy stuff as a way of getting that peace of mind, like, oh, thank God, if something bad happens, I'm okay. Uh, kind of like the giant shelves worth of toilet paper that I have in my basement now that are the result of the pandemic. Because <laughs> I went through the same thing during the pandemic. I just started buying everything that wasn't nailed down in an attempt to try and hedge my bets. And I knew even as I was doing it that I was falling into that same pattern. Oh, there's an emergency? Buy something! It's not true preparation. I mean, yes, you have to stockpile. Yes, you need supplies. But you know, after you have a little distance from it and you sort of come to your senses and you realize, well, thank goodness the toilet paper won't go bad. <laughs> you know, it's not like like those news stories about people who bought a bunch of stuff they tried to return after the pandemic turned out to be not quite the world-ending disaster that it was sold to be. But, um, you know, it, we went through that. We chronicled all of that here on the podcast. And Jeff did podcast after podcast about what we knew then at the time. And were we scared? Yeah, it looked bad. And uh, I'm glad that it's a little better than, you know, it's, it's not as bad as we thought. In some ways, it's worse just because of the lingering, you know, effects that it's had on our society. But regardless of how you react, when you realize that there are external dangers out there that can just be visited upon you, a disaster, a pandemic. We, we preached for years here at Warrior Life that we were due for a pandemic. And I even helped edit some of our pandemic materials that we've put out over the years, you know, when we revised it and updated it. And I remember thinking, you know, that it was all theory. But darned if Jeff wasn't right about everything. And when the pandemic did happen, I just started doing stuff. And my girlfriend and, and her family were like, they thought I was some kind of survival genius. And I, I finally said, no, no, I'm just following what's what's in this book. <laughs> just, just doing what Jeff has been telling us we would need to do all this time. So kudos to Jeff and Warrior Life. But, but yeah, the moment you realize that there are dangers out there, that is one of those moments that puts you on the path of, of preparedness and, and being a being a warrior. Um, number four is, this one is profound. It's, it's the moment you realize that you are the one responsible. I, uh, I've kind of talked around this story in the past, but uh, my father growing up, uh, and I lost my father a few months ago, um, that man lived way longer than he had any right to because he was on a one-man war to wreck my medical history for all of his adult life. Uh, you know, I'd go in and fill out paperwork at the doctor's office, and they go, your father's still alive? And I go, yeah. Wow, that's that's impressive because, you know, filling out the medical history, a history of this, history of that, yep, dad, dad, dad. Well, anyway, my father always carried a Swiss Army knife. It's one of the reasons that I am so in love with Swiss Army knives to this day. Every Christmas, that Swiss Army knife would come out to help open packages and get the tape off the boxes and uh, whenever I got a splinter, my dad and his Swiss Army knife were there. Countless things that a, a multi-tool like that is good for. Well, there was a moment when I was in a park with my then uh, toddler daughter, and she got a splinter. And I remember my brain went right to, what does one do when there is a splinter? Oh, I need a Swiss Army knife with the tweezers and the little blade. And I remember that I had one in a container, uh, you know, an organizer in my bag in the trunk of my car. And uh, as I was getting that Swiss Army knife, I had this moment oh my God, I'm the adult now. It's my job. I'm the one responsible for this child. I'm the grown-up. And I've had a Swiss Army knife in my pocket every day ever since for all these years. Um, 
you know, the moment you realize that you are the one responsible, no one is coming to save your family. It's you. It, it reminds me of there's a commercial on um, uh, there was a commercial years ago for some kind of networking service or something. I don't know, something involving computers. But it's this guy sitting around a boardroom. And I remember it's the actor who plays the assassin in the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito film Twins. I don't know why I remember that. My brain is a lint trap for trivia. But that actor played an executive. And he's, you know, pounding his fist on the table and going, whose job is it to make sure that this corporate infrastructure backbone, blah, 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 that it works like it's supposed to? And they all stop and look at him. And they go, well, that's you. And I had that moment where I'm like, who's, who's in charge of keeping this person safe? Oh, that's me. So the moment you realize that you're responsible for other people, that's what helps put you on this path. Um, and it's a powerful, powerful thing. It's, it's profound when you realize that other people count on you. And that brings me to moment number five, when you see the cost of failure. I fortunately have never had to endure that. I've always you know, had what I needed when I needed it and fortunately not been tested with a, a disaster or an emergency that was more than I could handle. But there are countless examples of that happening every day of people not being up to the task and dying. There was that horrible story that we told um, a couple of years back now about the fires in California where this guy wanted to get his neighbors to bug out, but they he couldn't get them out fast enough. And that man had to like lie in a creek bed as everyone else burned. And that was the one thing that saved him was being in that water as the flames, you know, went past his position. And, and you know, he's going to have to live with that for the rest of his life. And we deal with life or death topics. Survival is kind of a, it's an antiseptic word, but it's life or death. These are things that if you do them wrong, you or someone else just dies. Um, we talked about uh, in the previous podcast on individual first aid kit mistakes. Um, we were we were talking in that podcast about um, certain cheaply made Chinese tourniquets, for example, that if you buy them and put them in your first aid kit, they won't actually get tight enough to stop blood flow. And that's a that's an equipment mistake that could result in, in somebody dying just because you didn't bother to do the research. You didn't know any better. And it's not I'm not saying it's your fault necessarily. You just didn't know. Well, when it comes to survival, when it comes to this warrior path, if you want to call it something dramatic, you can't afford not to be inquisitive. You can't afford not to go, well, what's the answer? I need to know about this topic. I need to know enough about this topic so that I don't screw it up and people die. And, and really, the, the cost of failure, exhibits of the cost of failure, are all around us. They're in the news every day. Every time some hiker goes missing and ends up dead, um, every time somebody you know doesn't do all the things they're supposed to do, uh, sometimes it's through no fault of your own. Hundreds of thousands of people have died from this pandemic through no fault of their own because this this virus was visited upon them by certain unspecified individuals who will remain scientists at a certain lab somewhere, he said with a note of anger in his voice. Um, we try not to get political on, on this podcast, but let's be honest. We all know where that virus came from. We've seen that you can just be minding your own business and suddenly, bam, this happens. And you have to deal with it. You have to be prepared for it. You have to actively prepare for it. And understanding that the cost of failure is often death, that's a big deal. It really is. All right, so to recap, five moments that make you a warrior. I talked about the moment you realize you aren't safe. The moment you realize other people are armed. 
the moment you realize that there are dangers out there, the moment you realize that you are the one responsible for other people, and the moment you see the cost of failure and understand that it's life and death. Those are my five moments. I would love to know what your moments are. If you're listening to this podcast on the blog, if you could leave a comment and and let me know what were your moments. What's your moment? What are your moments, plural? What puts you on this path? I'd love to hear your story. Um, If you're listening to this in a podcast app, if there's a way for you to leave a comment, please do. If not, feel free to come on over to warriorlife.com. Find this podcast post. They're very easy to find. We label everything. Um, Just let us know. I would love to hear your story. All right, that is going to do it for this episode. Uh, Have a very happy new year. Uh, Here's to 2022 being better than 2021 and 2020 before that. I have been Buck Green in for Jeff Anderson. Until next time, prepare, train, and survive. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.